What is up, Ghost Gang? Welcome to one of the first episodes of Not A Final Girl Podcast. I'm so excited to have you all here. For the first few episodes, I'm planning to cover some of my absolute favorite movies. Most of them are 80s, 90s cult classics, which, sorry about it. I love that era. I don't know what to tell you. Um, they're criminally underrated when they were first released, so they deserve all the love and attention we can give them in the present day. So, let's dive right in to serial killer psychotic madness. Let's get to it. First things first, let me give y'all some trigger warnings. We have murder, we have some gore, vulgar language, duh. And then, for my peeps with misophonia, I'm so sorry, but this has one of the nastiest eating scenes I've ever experienced. The way that they just smack down on some motherfucking, like, chicken... It is so disgusting, and I will warn you when we get to that part. And then there's a lot of uncomfortable sexual scenes of actual sex, and then just, like, weird sexual things that are just like, okay, I don't want to be here anymore, so yeah, we're gonna (laughs) have to experience that. So let's take a detour into White Suburbia Nightmares, aka Serial Mom. Released in 1994, it's a dark comedy with a star-studded cast. We've got Kathleen Turner as Mom. That's right. She is Mom. Fucking IMDb needs to get their shit together because for some reason, they just list Kathleen Turner as Mom and Sam Waterston as Dad. Like, they don't even put their real names on there. Like, what the fuck? Why is it just Mom? Dad. That's all you need to know. Like... IMDb, get your shit together, alright? We do learn that Kathleen Turner is Mrs. Beverly Sutphin. We have Sam Waterston as Eugene Sutphin, Ricky Lake as Misty, Matthew Lillard as Chip, Justin Whalen as Scotty, Mink Stoll as Dottie Hinkle, and Mary Jo Catlett as Rosemary Ackerman. It is written and directed by John Waters, who also wrote the song we'll get to later called Gas Chamber, which is just... Oh boy. (laughs) I also read that John Waters considered Kathy Bates for the mom role, which, to be honest, probably would have turned out just as good. I love Kathy Bates. She's amazing. And actually, fun fact, this is Matthew Lillard's first film. Like, debut film. He fucking kills it. I didn't know it was his first movie. I never would have known it was his first movie if I hadn't researched it for the podcast. Like, good on him. He acts the exact same. <laughs> like, his acting has not changed from when he first started, I swear to God. Like, as soon as you see Matthew Lillard, you're like, I know who he is. I know how he'll act. He's there. I love him. Good on you. <laughs> Budget for the movie was about 13 mil and only grossed 7.8 million worldwide, okay? How sad is that? They didn't even make their money back, which is just, like so criminal like this movie is so underrated and so good and i just i can't believe that they didn't even make their money back like i feel bad like john waters can i give you a couple million that i don't have (laughs) but i mean it just goes in line with like i told you i have i like shitty movies i don't know what to tell you like i don't think they're shitty but the world does apparently weirdly enough like I didn't see this movie until this year because it was recommended to me by my mom who like she knows I'm into horror and true crime so she introduced me but like 
she hates horror and true crime. So I was like, I don't know why the fuck you know this movie and I don't. That's crazy. And I'm so glad that she showed it to me because not only does it have my man's Matthew Lillard, but this movie is funny as fuck. Like, completely ridiculous, super chaotic. It immediately became a favorite of mine and I just, I showed it to anybody who was willing to watch it. I hope you guys enjoyed it. And for those of you who haven't seen it yet, like you're in for a treat. Let's get it. First of all, we open with a title card stating that this film is a true story based on court testimony, sworn declarations, and hundreds of interviews. Names have been changed in interest of larger truth. No one involved in crimes received any financial compensation. That's all fake. (laughs) Like this literally isn't based off of anything. This is just the type of film, it's it's like mockumentary about a true crime that never happened. Like, I love it. It's ridiculous. It makes no sense. But here we are. Uh, we quickly transition into some very fluttery and just lilting music. You got that flute playing. I get it. I was a flautist in high school. All right. I understand. But like... Way too just serene for what we're about to experience. The music continues to play as we scroll through the opening credits, which is just like flying words across a blue sky of everyone who's in the movie and all that good stuff. Eventually we land upon this like super big two-story house in a clearly well-to-do neighborhood. Like they're landscaping is immaculate their house is so big millennials wish we could afford a house like that okay i never will be able to but fuck like i wish uh we cut to the opening scene which involves misty chip and the dad having this super mundane conversation at the breakfast table just being a classic white suburban family we learn about mom's hatred of gum so beverly just like hates gum and I don't feel like it's ever fully explained either she just anytime someone is chewing gum around her she makes them spit it out like she hates it she makes Misty spit out a piece of gum and Misty's like it's sugarless and she's like I don't give a fuck like spit it out and I'm like why do you have such a thing against gum it's like in Chicago with when the girl is like Bernie used to chew gum no not chew pop and then she murdered him because he just kept popping his gum like okay uh we learned that misty is in college and just fucking boy crazy like (laughs) so many times during this film she transitions from like fake crying over one man to immediately flirting with another one and it's like it's so ridiculous like misty what are you doing get more out of life, girl. There's more out of life than these shitty-ass men that you keep, like, hyper-focusing on. Speaking of hyper-focusing, we now watch as Beverly just starts <laughs> manically hyper-focusing on this fly that's just buzzing all around the table. It We continually have panned-in zoom shots of... This fly just landing on every piece of food at this fucking table. And she just, she slowly picks up a fly swatter and then just watches and as it moves everywhere. 
as she is just so like ADHD hyper focused on this fly, the dad is reading a news story about the Hillside Strangler, like getting his degree in prison. And we learn that Eugene approves of the death penalty. We also learn that Chip is obsessed with horror movies. And I know these things all seem like really pointless to talk about, but they all come back later in the movie. There is no detail too small for John Waters. It is all foreshadowing. Remember everything because it comes back. We also get this lovely line of the dad reading the paper and discussing how like the Hillside Strangler got his degree. And Beverly's like, that's nice, dear. And he's like, nice. He should have been executed. And Misty goes, yeah, mom, he killed people. And she goes, well, we all have our bad days. <laughs> and then Chip just jumps in and is like, oh, Misty, I bet you'd want to date him. Just, ooh. <laughs> so funny. I'm going to insert a clip of that scene because it's just so ridiculous. Hillside Strangler gets his college degree in prison. That's not good. Nice. He should have been executed. Yeah, the death penalty. He killed people, Mom. We all have our bad days. Amazing, right? Like, why? <laughs> like, I get they're trying to portray that this is just like the average family, but like... <laughs> It's also immediately just discussing serial killers, which is insane. But okay. Anyway. <laughs> so, Beverly finally kills the fly. Uh, and just leaves a nasty ass, just dead, blood-smeared fly carcass on the table. Like, can you at least clean it up, please? That's, I don't want to eat my breakfast while looking at a dead-ass fly. Uh, the music, like, was all, like edgy while she was so focused on the fly and now it returns like to serenity and everything's good and then we get a knock on the door on the screen it flashes friday may 14th 1993 7 a.m all through the movie it flashes times related to like the same day it, re it tells you the dates of the days and everything going on so you can get like a, a full timeline of everything that's happening. I don't think it's necessary. So that's the only one I'm really going to mention because I feel like it's kind of, yeah, we understand like this is happening after that and blah, blah, blah. But yeah, so just periodically they throw up like dates and times and like this is what's happening. And also, being awake at 7.30 a.m., ew. Like, I remember having to get up at 7 a.m. for school, and I wanted to die, like, every day. Like, I need sleep. I'm a night owl. I can stay up till 4 a.m., no problem. I need to sleep till at least 10 a.m., dog. I cannot get up that early. I had to get up that early for jury duty, and I, I was so exhausted. We meet Detective Pike and Detective Gracie, who, who come into the Sutphin house to talk about this vulgar harassment that's been happening with the neighbor Dottie. Right away, Misty <laughs> just immediately focuses on Detective Pike and is, like, flirtatiously smiling and giving him, like, fuck me eyes. A Detective Pike is a hundred percent into it he just looks at her 
And he's, he, like, smiles back. He's like, hey, babe, what's up? And I'm like, girl, <laughs> what the fuck? And did, she's not the only one who swoons over, de- over Detective Pike, who, honestly, I don't even think is that, like, hot. I, I don't understand it. It drives me crazy. The amount of times that they just have these women just being like, oh, a man. <laughs> like, stop. You're better off with another girl, to be honest. Uh, the detectives then show a note that was sent to Dottie that says, I'll get you, pussy face. <laughs> and it has a smiley face sticker in the corner. which <laughs> just adds a nice touch, you know? Like, I'm threatening you. But with a smile, so don't get it twisted, you know? I have a picture of that up on the Instagram if you want to see the note in full. We noticed that all of the letters for the note are cut from magazine covers. Beverly goes, oh, I've never said the P word. I I would never say that out loud. I never would even write it. And Eugene jumps in and is like, no woman would ever say or write pussy. And I'm like... Why? Is it because this is the, like, 60s? Like, <laughs> okay. The detectives are just, like, listening to Beverly just start ranting about how life doesn't need to be bad. Life can be wonderful. Take a look at these birds. Then it zooms in on the birds and then zooms in on Bev and she goes, Hooey? Hooey? It zooms back to the birds and the back to her. She goes, hooey, hooey. And the detectives are looking at her like she's clinically insane. Because what woman, (laughs) what, what is she doing? Just sitting there being like, hooey, hooey. Like, she's a little loopy, okay? So Chip and I guess technically Misty's friends, Scotty and Birdie pulls up in Scotty's red like convertible mustang uh scotty is disgusting constantly looking at porno mags and just naked women in general and like i'm all for that but can you at least do it in the privacy of your own home like he's sitting in their fucking driveway with a betty page porno magazine and he's just like lusting over her in front of everybody i'm like scotty get a room okay we also see that Birdie and Chip are dating. You know, she gives him a cute little kiss. It's like, aw, so cute. Random asshole Carl shows up to pick up Misty because she's boy crazy. So, of course, we immediately get the sense he's a total dick. He is so rude to her. Right away, he's like, yeah, we're not dating. And she mentions something about this Pee Wee Herman doll. And he's like, yeah, I don't give a fuck. Can we go already? Like, he's such a dick. And Misty's all over it. And I'm like, girl, like, seriously, you can do better. I promise. So we, we quickly come to learn that Beverly has her own moral code that matters infinitely more than anybody else's. Beverly starts getting on the detectives about the fact that Scotty drives around without a seatbelt. And if you want to arrest somebody, it should be Scotty. And if you want to handle crime, you should handle the boy who doesn't wear a seatbelt. And she mentions that he doesn't wear a seatbelt many times through the movie. She It matters so much to her. And, and yet, so many other things don't. Are, we, I mean, we just, we learn very quickly that Beverly 
is a interesting person with an interesting set of morals. Let's leave it at that. The detectives get back in their car and they just, they're laughing and making fun of Beverly for being a a leave it to beaver type. Basically like, oh, she's what, Beaver Cleaver's mom or something like that. I just want to say like, there's nothing wrong with being a housewife, okay? Leave her alone. Don't be an ass. Let her enjoy life. So right after the detectives say that, that she's like the nicest woman we'll ever meet, we immediately get that contrasted with Beverly calling up Dottie and harassing the fuck out of her while laughing like a giddy schoolgirl the whole time. She hears some foul language, folks. Cocksucker residents, pussy way, 212, fuck you. <laughs> And then calling her back, making Dottie repeat the word cocksucker, and then immediately goes, You guess your mother with that mouthy fucking whore! <laughs> it's like, <laughs> like, poor Dottie. We don't even know what this woman has done to have the wrath of Beverly on her, but she is so just. She's having too much fun just being real dick to Dottie. I'm gonna go ahead and insert a clip of that too because it's fucking funny in its entirety and I cannot replicate it properly. Hello? Is this the cocksucker residence? God damn you, stop calling here! Isn't this 4215 pussy way? You bitch! Now let me check the zip code. 212 fuck you! <laughs> it kills me every time. <laughs> God, it fucking kills me. Okay. So, while making these calls to Dottie, uh, Bev's neighbor, Rosemary, just saunters on into Beverly's home like she fucking owns the place. And it's just being disrespectful as hell. Like, she's running her finger along the furniture and checking for dust and shit. And I'm like, you don't need to be this judgy or this nosy when you just, like, be any broken entered into this woman's house. Like... Fuck you! Get out of here! Well, she nearly discovered Beverly's secret because she is listening at the door and just hears Beverly screaming of ease. But Beverly, cool as a cucumber, is like, oh, the cable company. Like, you fucking know how it is, right? Which, I mean, I get it. Anytime I've ever had to call, like, customer service for something like cable, internet, it's the worst. It's just the worst and I work in IT and I work as a customer service person so like I understand you know that like we don't have all the answers and we have to go through scripts and like it's really annoying but at the same time you're really annoyed too <laughs> so it's like it, it 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 passes to each other okay we're all annoying around here right uh we see that the reason Rosemary has broken into Beverly's house is to give her a basket, which Beverly opens and we see a quick cut to sewing supplies and specifically a black pair of scissors that is just right on top. And again, no detail is too small for John Waters. You know that shit is coming back later, so remember it. Beverly and Rosemary then start discussing Dottie and Beverly's like, who on earth would want to harass poor Dottie Yinkle? 
So immediately in the next scene, we see a flashback as to why Bev is so pissed with her. It's literally just because Dottie, like, stole a parking spot from her. You know, like, Dottie did that asshole thing where Bev was clearly waiting and signaling for the spot, and then she just swerved in and took it. But, like, bitch move, super annoying, I get it. Why doesn't Beverly just go and talk to her about it? She's like, I'm not going to discuss this. I'm just going to harass the fuck out of Dottie and drive her literally insane. Like, remember when I said that this is serial killer psychotic Matt? She is psychotic. She is a psycho. Like, what is wrong with her? Like I said, things, morals make sense in her head that do not make sense in real life. Just woof the. And they, throughout the entire movie, they continue to show this dichotomy of Beverly, who's this, like, perfect 60s housewife, and also a psycho bitch. <laughs> like, she's so psychotic. Also, I know that this movie is set in the 90s, but, like, I just envision her as a 60s housewife. I don't know. It makes more sense to me. They're even showing this guy dichotomy with the music, which I, I really love, honestly, that they continuously are cutting from this, like, the lilting, flute, peppy music, and then the, like, edgy, darker music whenever she's in psycho mode. <laughs> so Beverly goes to school because it's the PTA, the Parent-Teacher Conference, yay. Which, PTA does not stand for Parent-Teacher Conference. I don't know why the fuck they called it PTA, because it's not what it was, but sure. When she gets there, we meet Betty and Ralph Sterner, who are just the most annoying people in the fucking planet. I hate them so much. Even Beverly can barely manage to hide her eye rolls in disgust. Fucking Ralph is making jokes about her husband being a dentist, and they're just annoying. Like, And they're the ones that commit the heinous chicken eating scene. And I'm like, alright, you two, get fucked. Get out of here. I hate it. Ugh. So Beverly begins the meeting with Chip's math teacher, Mr. Stubbins. He goes on to piss Beverly by implying that Chip is sick and twisted because of his horror obsession and that it must be because the parents are doing something wrong. There must be divorce, alcoholism, abuse, something, something is happening. And Beverly's like, we are a perfect family. There is nothing wrong with my son. And he's like, there is. Have a nice day. So then we cut to Beverly is waiting in the back lot of the school in her blue station wagon. Mr. Stubbins walks out of the back of the school, pops gum in his mouth, which immediately is a big no-no. Beverly's like, oh, now you're really going to get it, fucker. So Mr. Stubbins like hears her car rolling up behind him and he turns around. And Beverly just smiles and waves at him. So he smiles and waves back, turns back around, and Beverly just full force, slams on the gas, runs Mr. Stubbins over, blood splatters across the windshield, he rolls off the back, he's hurt but not dead, so she throws it in reverse, backs back up over him, drives up over him again, now he's certainly dead, and she just moseys on her way, which uh, she failed to see that there was a witness that she left behind there is this teen with like she has 80s hair not 90s hair she has 80s hair okay and she's sitting there smoking weed by a tree and she witnesses the whole thing uh we see real quick that bev goes straight to the car wash she's gotta get that 
evidence, you know, washy-washy. Gotta get it off. We then jump to Scotty, Birdie, and Chip in Chip's room watching a movie called Blood Feast. And Chip proclaims that it is the Citizen Kane of horror movies. Scotty is genuinely freaked out and disgusted. He even goes and, like, pukes. And I'm like, come on, man. Suck it up. Birdie and Chip, however, are horror fanatics and are just laughing at how fake it is. Like, literally, there's a... There's a part where he, like, pulls out the girl's tongue and they're both like, sheep's tongue. <laughs> like, okay, nerds. I'm a nerd too, so I get it. Um, Chip's room, by the way, is fucking awesome. It's decorated with so many movie and just, like, horror posters in general. There's a bloody handprint on the wall. There's, like, netting and skulls and it's gorgeous. And I guarantee that Elena from Morbid would have had this room as a teenager. She would have loved it. It would have been her inner sanctum. All right. Beverly brings in... Beverly is a mood. She she comes back from killing Mr. Stubbins. She, like, made some... They look like snickerdoodle cookies. They look delicious. And she's just like, I'm having a great day today, and I'm not sure why. You want some cookies? (laughs) Like... Girl, you probably should be so excited about having killed someone. But, you know, it is what it is. She comes in, gives everyone cookies, sends Birdie and Scotty home because she's like, Mr. Seven said that this horror nonsense is getting into your head and I need you to study and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, okay, mom. Scotty and Birdie leave. And they had just been watching a scene where the dude, like, pulled the heart out of the girl that he pulled the tongue out of. And... Beverly gets really excited all of a sudden and she's like, can we rewatch the scene where the guy takes her heart out? She like plays it and she's so enraptured and Chip just looks at her like, what the fuck, mom? Because why is this little leave it to beaver type enjoying this man rip out a woman's heart? Like, what? So then it cuts to dinner time and they're just being a family. They're talking. Chip for some reason just goes... I'm so happy I could shit. And Beverly immediately looks at him and is like, you know I hate the brown word. Never mind the fact that she's literally saying cocksucker and pussy face and all this other shit. Like, okay, you don't like the word shit? Sure, sure you don't. What is this movie? (laughs) I love it so much. Rosemary comes running over because she's a nosy bitch with the news of Mr. Stubbins' death. Um, they turn on their TV, the news is interviewing the stoner, who is just like, she's such a vibe. So, she mentions that it's a blue station wagon, and then she goes, it flattened Mr. Stubbins just like a pancake. Oh, God, man, puke time, man. Like, you get it, girl. Rosemary immediately is like, Bev, that's your car. And Beverly is like, I'm not that bad of a driver, Rosemary. (laughs) Which is, you know what? Fair. Fair. (laughs) If someone was like, did you do this? I'd be like, I'm not that bad of a driver. Come on, Larry. Jesus. The The second worst scene of this movie happens right now. Uh, This has the unwanted sex in it it makes me so uncomfortable like i'm fine for a sex scene but what happens in the scene it's oh it's so gross so 
Beverly and Eugene are in bed, and we see Bev is reading a serial killer book, but she has the cover on it as, like, a bird book. So her husband just thinks that she's reading about birds. He's lamenting about the poor death of Mr. Stubbins and says goodnight. And Bev's like, you're not going to give me a goodnight kiss. And then they kiss, and he's like, well, I, I didn't think you'd want to. And she's like, we have to embrace life. So they immediately start having loud sex. So loud. So disgusting. Beverly is moaning, oh yeah, just over and over. And they're like rolling around on each other. They're literally literally going at it so vigorously that their bodies are bouncing off the bed. It is so nasty. Poor Misty and Chip realize what the fuck is happening, open their doors, look down the hall, and then, like, grimace at each other because who wants to hear their parents having sex? Disgusting. Ugh. Thankfully, that scene doesn't last too long. And we see now that it's Saturday. It's the next day, finally. Uh, We see the detectives are talking to Rosemary, and she's, like, pointing at Beverly's house, and Beverly's watching this through binoculars and she's like bruh apparently eugene and beverly were supposed to go to like a bird watching tour or some shit this morning and instead we get an annoying ass phone call from betty and ralph sterner ralph's like my teeth are rotten and i need it extracted now which if your teeth are rotten you've already survived it for so long you don't need a dental procedure done right this fucking second okay if your teeth are that rotten they've been that way for a while they're just doing this to be annoying assholes so at first eugene is like i like call my office set up an appointment i'll see you on monday and betty gets on the phone is like he'll die by then (laughs) i'm like good you know what let him die fuck it so eugene's like all right okay i'll see you at the office and bev is pissed because, like, there goes her fun day with her husband. So we see her stride out of the room with this, like, mean face. And you're like, oh, shit, is she, like, just going to go immediately kill someone? No. Instead, what she does is she she strides into Chip's bedroom and just dips into his face and just, and just wakes him up by going, Chip! <laughs> Directly into his face. And he whips up and he's like what mom what and she's like i just didn't want to give you like for work And he's like you scared the fuck out of me <laughs> like same if my mom or my partner if anybody woke me up by just screaming my name in my face i'd lose it i'd like hit them i'd be like what is your problem Ugh. it's so ridiculous beverly goes downstairs and misty is fake ass crying at the dinner table like her arms are crossed she's got this frowny pouty face and she's like (laughs) that like really pathetic fake cry that like attention-seeking women do i'm like come on you're a better actress than that ricky like get it together so she's crying because Carl stood me up, and he is supposed to take me to the flea market. And, like, sh- she was going to... She has, like, a booth that she's going to sell shit at. Whatever. There's a knock at the door, and immediately Misty is like, oh, Maybe that's him! And Bev is like, No, it's just the police. And Misty's like, mm. 
I'm like, okay, Misty, take a chill pill. So, we, um, Beverly also noticed that the detectives were, like, snooping through her recycling and peeking into her garage. Obviously, they are suspicious of her, probably due to Rosemary's big fat mouth being like, I know someone with a PlayStation wagging me. And you're like, okay. So, <laughs> the detectives are let in. Misty, boom, tears gone, evaporated. Immediately, she sees Detective Pike, smiles flirtatiously, and gives him straight up fuck me eyes again. Like, she is so enamored by him, and it upsets me. First of all, she can do better. And second of all, you were literally just crying about Carl like 0.08 seconds ago. Calm the fuck down. The detectives are mentioning the blue station wagon and how she's the only one that has one registered as a parent of Mr. Stubbins. And she's like, what, you suspect me? And all the kids are joking about like, well, I have someone you could kill, mom. <laughs> Beverly instead just mentions again that Scotty doesn't wear a seatbelt. So why aren't you doing anything about that, fuckers? <laughs> like, okay, like him not wearing a seatbelt really only endangers himself. And you don't even like Scotty, so leave it alone. Who cares? Scotty then... Scotty is so annoying. I hate him so much. He pulls this, like, magazine and he's like, Oh, this babe is hot. And we notice that the magazine is cut. Like, we obviously see that one of the letters that was in the note was from this magazine. And immediately the detectives are like, This is a smoking gun. Like... Oh, what, like what happened to your magazine? It looks obviously cut. And Beverly immediately is like, "Well, this is Rosemary's magazine. You can see it on the label." And it wouldn't be my magazine because I always recycle. Beverly is so on recycling. She sorts recycling while listening to Daybreak. Daybreak. Like she. Why is this movie obsessed with recycling? Like yes, recycling. Good. But like, why? It literally likes makes Rosemary a social pariah later on in the movie it, it, it makes zero sense but whatever rosemary beverly's like i always recycle so it's not my magazine we then see that beverly and the garbage men fucking hate rosemary because she doesn't recycle once again we just see like it's literally a scandal in this neighborhood to not fucking recycle uh, the dichotomy breaks through again because it looks like Beverly is about to go stab Rosemary with her own scissors. Like, she picks up the scissors from the sewing basket that Rosemary gave her and looks like she's heading out to go stab Rosemary, who's just littering so much. Like, she's dumping, like, a box of styrofoam peanuts into her trash and it's just flying everywhere. Like, okay, it's one thing that she doesn't recycle, but, like, can you at least put this in a trash bag, ma'am? Jesus Christ. Before she, like, leaves the house to go stab Rosemary, she spots the garbage men, and she gets all happy and cheerful again, and she brings out her recycling to them, as well as a couple of shots for them, which she just had a couple of shots sitting around. Maybe that's just me. I might have a bottle of alcohol sitting around, but just those, like, mini shop bottles, the, like, 99 cent ones, I wouldn't just have those, like, chilling in my house. Like, <laughs> but whatever. We learn that the names of the garbage men are Gus and Sloppy. <laughs> Great name. And Sloppy literally says Rosemary should be killed for not recycling. 
Gus literally is like, let's give her a fucking Glasgow smile, slit her ear to ear. She deserves it for not recycling. This is all over recycling, people. Recycling. And <laughs> I love Beverly so much. She glares over at Rosemary and it gets like, there's like heroic music starts playing and she goes, for the sake of this planet, somebody just might. <laughs> What are you now, eco-warrior? Okay, lady. So we cut to Dottie and Rosemary in Rosemary's house, and they're watching a news piece about this woman who's married to a mass murderer. <laughs> the lady who's interviewing her is like, how do you love a mass murderer? And the woman goes, simple. He's famous. He's handsome. And we get conjugal visits. And I'm like, all right, get it, girl, I guess. <laughs> Why do you love a mass murderer? Because he's handsome and I can fuck him. <laughs> okay. So Bev scares the shit out of Dottie uh, by like just creepily being at the window. <laughs> so Beverly joins them and is literally just there to harass the fuck out of Dottie. Because she sits down with her coffee. She looks over and she goes... Oh my god, Rosemary, are those pussy willows? <laughs> and Dottie immediately is like, because <gasps> she recognizes the voice. Like, And then Bev just goes off, grabs this Fabergé egg, smashes it on the ground, blames it on Dottie, and is literally like, Dottie, what's wrong with you? And Dottie's like, I didn't do it. And Rosemary's like, you could apologize. And... <laughs> That really is so rude. She's like, you have to forgive Dottie. She's simple. <laughs> and then they just leave her and go to the antique market. It's so much all the time. Like, I love Beverly. She's literally such a vibe, but why? Why is she doing this? We then cut to the nastiest shot of this, of Ralph's rotten ass teeth. It's so nasty. His teeth are fucking black. And we just see Eugene drilling hard into the tooth we see that eugene is pretty purposefully causing as much pain as possible which i mean same ralph is annoying fuck him the detectives show up they walk into eugene's office and can we just discuss the fucking pop art molar tooth it's heinous it's so it's so disturbing it freaks me out i'm pretty sure it's because of the roots like they're too fucking long a molar does not look like that get out of here it freaks i hate it so the detectives are asking eugene about uh these books that they found um it's like serial killer books like i don't know it's just a random assortment and he's like, well, there's probably Chip's books, you know, that horror nut. And they're like, nope, we verified that it was bought by your wife at this bookstore, blah, blah, blah. And they just look at Eugene and they go, is your wife mental? And we immediately cut to Bev, Beverly thrashing her head around because there's a gnat bothering her. And I'm like, wow, great cinematography, guys. We see her at the antique market at her daughter's booth with Rosemary. Um, and then she's consoling her daughter, who's still so upset about Carl. And as she is doing that, she looks up and sees Carl with some skinny fucking blonde bitch. And Bev is immediately angry. She is so mad. She's ready to go. Okay, 
this, to me, this next part only exists to provide a murder weapon. I literally cannot figure out another reason for what happens to happen. So, Rosemary goes to this, this Franklin Mint table to get a replacement Faberge egg. Uh, she says it's chipped, and he says it doesn't matter, it's Franklin Mint, give me $100. She's like, fuck no, that's way too expensive. So, instead of just, like, not giving him any money, she decides to scam him of, like, three fucking dollars for this fire poker. She switches the tag, so instead of it being $6, it's three, like, three dollars. It's literally, she's literally scamming him of three dollars, and still giving him money, I don't understand her reasoning for that other than just to be petty I guess but I felt like it you're just wasting money to be petty but okay she brings a fire poker over and Beverly's like oh let me let me hide this for you and she's like oh thanks it was on sale but then Beverly sees Carl again so what does she do she starts (laughs) creepily stalking Carl and this blonde chick while menacingly holding this fire poker. She's not inconspicuous in the slightest. I don't understand why no one is looking at her. Like, she's fucking weird. Like, what? She is just holding this fire poker and slowly stalking this couple around the antique show. I'm like, come on. Can someone just, like, grow a pair of eyes? Obviously, this is not normal. We see blonde bitch being like, she sees the Fabergé egg and she's like, Carl, get it for me. Mm." So he buys it and then he buys her like a sports flag, whatever. He's like, I gotta go piss. And she just looks so disgusted at him. She's like, ew. (laughs) Like, you piss too, so shut the fuck up. Um, So he goes into the men's room and we just see Bev follow him in there which again does no one have eyes why is no one seeing this lady walk into the men's room she goes in there and sees carl at the urinal but then she hears a flush so she hides in the stall real quick this grunge dude i don't he doesn't wash his hands and he was in the stall so i have to believe that he just took a shit and didn't wash his fucking hands nasty you're fucking nasty okay wash your fucking hands I'm sorry. That makes me so mad. I, so, I'm if I go into the bathroom and I touch anything, it doesn't matter if I even went to the bathroom. If I touch anything, I'm washing my fucking hands. The bathroom is one of the nastiest places in, in public, in your house. It's disgusting. I, I don't... Mama Rose is lecturing you. Wash your fucking hands. Okay. Anyway. Uh, so... <laughs> She hides, the grunge dude leaves without washing his hands, and we see this nasty, balding, middle-aged man in the stall at a glory hole. <laughs> it's fucking glory hole. And he's writing, eat me. And he peeks to the glory hole and just sees Beverly holding the fire poker. And he's like, oh, I gotta get the fuck out of here. He just dips. He just leaves. This entire time, Carl has been loudly peeing. (laughs) Like, this dude has bladder problems because he's been peeing for like five minutes straight and he's still going when she attacks him. It's so much. So she stabs Carl through the back with the fire poker and 
<laughs> Carl's just like, and then falls down dead. Everyone dies way too easy in this film. <laughs> like, she just like, one stab and just, ugh, I'm dead. I'm like, it's not, it's not that easy, but okay. So they mirror blood feasts. Because when she rips the fire poker out, there's an organ, like, dangling off the rod. And it's totally fake. It's it's a reference to the, it's a sheep's tongue moment, which is, okay, unnecessary, but kind of funny. It's also making nasty-ass jello noises. Like, every time she wiggles it, it's like, <laughs> and I'm like, it's so gross. Stop. Why are you doing that? And then she goes to leave, and she's like, She makes this face like she's contemplating something. And then she flushes the urinal. Because again, Beverly has her own set of morals. She's not going to leave a urinal full of pee that's nasty. Which is also insult to injury. Because he's face down in the urinal where he peed. So not only did he land in pee, he also just got like swirlied. (laughs) She just flushed the urinal on his dead ass face. Like that's so rude. So she leaves and we see her walking back to the booth with the fire poker all bloody. And she's holding a set of bowls and she's like, honey, look, I made a killing. And then it cuts to this dude who enters the bathroom, sees the dead body. And it's like a... (laughs) scream it's like one of those like pre-made sound screams it sounds like a fucking star wars tie fighter it's like Like, it's so stupid and funny uh i'm gonna insert a clip because it's like why you the dude could have just screamed why does it sound like this honey look i made a killing like why is he screaming like that it's too much it's oh it's too fucking much they bring carl out on a stretcher blonde bitch is so so upset fake crying just like misty until she sees detective pike immediately tears gone fuck me eyes like what is with detective pike man i don't get it uh, Misty's like, I'm gonna go look at this nonsense. And then she sees it's Carl and she's like, ah! And Detective Gracie makes a mental note of like, oh, look here, another Sutfin person is here. At this point, Beverly has not only left two witnesses in her chaos, but so much evidence. She hasn't wiped off any fingerprints. She leaves blood everywhere. She comes back to the booth with blood on her shoe and there's still blood and gore on the fire poker, which... Rosemary touches the poker and it comes away with blood and she's like horrified. But then we don't see her like try to even talk to the detectives while they're there. So it's like she's horrified, but then she doesn't really do anything about it right now. She'll do something about it later. But right now, no, no, no. (laughs) Like, okay. Eugene is now very concerned and convinced that something is going on with Beverly from the visit the detectives made to his practice. So he goes home. He's searching all over the room. He finds a secret stash of serial killer paraphernalia, including a tape from Ted Bundy. It's like, I'm on death row. In six days, I'll be executed. And I'm just so lonely. (laughs) 
And fun fact, apparently John Waters uh, voiced that, which is pure, pure perfection. There is a signed photograph of <laughs> Richard Speck's face on a bodybuilder <laughs> body. Um, when I first saw this movie, I actually didn't know who Richard Speck was, which is interesting because I, I, I'm very into true crime and I was surprised I hadn't heard of this case before. So basically in 1966, uh, in one night, Richard Speck went on a killing spree and killed eight nursing students in their Chicago residence by stabbing, strangling, and slicing their throats. I mean, wow. Uh, okay. He, uh, he went to prison and, like, died of a heart attack in prison at, like, age 50. So, also, <laughs> on Wikipedia, it's like, yeah, he got divorced in 1966. You're like, hmm, wonder why. <laughs> so, yeah. So, yeah. And what a person to idolize, honestly. Like, why has she got, like, a fucking side photograph of Richard Smith? Not that Ted Bundy is any better. Let's be honest. Like, it's so much we cut to all the kids down at the video store where Chip works. I think Chip and Birdie both work there, actually. And they're watching another slasher fic. This, like, Frito Kahlo-esque looking woman who just, like, decapitates, I'm assuming, her husband and her husband's lover cheating. I assume it has something to do with cheating. Who the fuck knows? I'm sure that's a classic horror movie. I don't know what the fuck it is. Someone can tell me or whatever. It's fine. Misty shows up and just... It just goes, Chip, our mother is Charles Manson. And immediately, Chip, Scotty, Birdie, and then this random fucking other dude who, like, only shows up for this scene just starts joking about, like, you know, people for Beverly to murder. Because, like, who would believe that sweet little leave it to Cleaver Beaver Beverly was running around committing these murders, right? Even so, when we cut to dinner time, the whole family is, like, a little bit apprehensive of Beverly. Because at this point, the husband's found the serial killer memorabilia. Misty is, like, 99.999% sure that her mom murdered Mr. Stubbins and Carl. So she's losing a little. And even, even though Chip doesn't really believe it, he's still a little, like, cautious. He's like, oh. And then we're cutting to the detectives talking to the neighbors who are just ratting Beverly out. They're talking to Rosemary, who talks about the, like, she had gore on her shoe. And then they move to Dottie. And <laughs> Detective Gracie is trying to ask her what word she heard that made her identify Beverly as her harasser. And she's like, I, I can't say it. And he's like, could you say it to a policewoman? She's like, maybe. So they bring this burly, this like burly fucking policewoman out who just so monotone goes, it's okay. Nobody's going to hurt you. Come on, let it out. And then sticks a recorder on like under her nose. I'm like, is this really the best you've got to handle this situation? I'm going to insert the clip because it's, it's just stupid. It's funny. Could you tell a policewoman the exact words she used? Maybe. It's okay. Nobody's gonna hurt you. Come on, let it out. Amazing. We then cut back to dinner, and Chip, in his 
cautious way is like, so mom, Scotty thinks you might be a killer. And she's like, I have to go somewhere. Excuse me. Just She gets up, like throws her napkin on the table. We hear her go out the door. They hear the garage door open, the car start and her leave. And they're just staring at each other, dumbfounded. Misty jumps up and is looking around and sees a note on the chalkboard on the fridge that's like, going to the store, mom. And she's like, she left! So they're all freaking out because now they think that Beverly's going straight to kill Scotty. So when she left, she ended up having like a police tail, like this officer started following her. It doesn't phase Beverly. (laughs) It does not phase Beverly in the slightest. She she throws Daybreak back on, you know, Daybreak. And then she <laughs> she pops the curb, drives through someone's front yard, and then swings around the corner. And the police miss her somehow. Okay, I'm sure there would have been a sign of what happened to her car, but sure. And he's like, damn it, lost her. So Detective Pike and Gracie are following Chip, Misty, and Eugene who are heading to Scotty's house because they think that's where Beverly's going. And immediately they're like, we're following the family. I'm sure that's where mom's going to be. And blah, blah, blah. And we think, honestly, that she's probably going to murder Scotty too. I mean, what else are we supposed to think? Also, we then cut to Scotty, who is watching a porno starring Chesty Morgan. <laughs> it's this thick woman with huge tits. And it just keeps zooming in on her tits. And I'm like, Scotty, my guy, come on, man. Interspliced with the murders we're about to watch, uh, we see Scotty just having a good old time with himself watching Chesty Morgan. It's a lot. It's disgusting. Was not necessary, but okay. So now we experience the number one heinous scene. Misophonia people. Not for you. If you haven't seen this movie, like skip past this part. It's so nasty. Disgusting ass Ralph and Betty are just ripping away at some chicken. They're open mouth chewing. They're smacking. There's grease running everywhere. They're going at it like feral beasts. They're like ripping it with their teeth. And I'm like, ugh. I understand enjoying a good chicken, but like, can you be civilized, please? Bev is hella triggered because she loves birds which apparently she really does even though the bird book was actually a serial killer book i don't understand she for some reason she does actually care about birds and she thinks back to the hooey hooey birds and she gets really mad she's like mistake number two these fuckers gonna die then the sterners make mistake number three where they make fun of Eugene as a dentist, and now she's really pissed because how dare they insult her family. Also, I don't understand why Bev is up. I'm pretty sure she served chicken before. I just think they were being so feral about it, it, like, triggered her. <laughs> Beverly breaks into the Sterner's house. Again, remember, we're, we're cutting back and forth between watching Beverly do this and Scotty just having a grand old time. Um, so we see Beverly break in, Betty's like, what was that? And Ralph is like, oh, whatever, it's the house, who fucking cares? Um, he 
she goes upstairs and is like getting ready for bed. He's eating dessert downstairs. She's like, come upstairs, Ralph. Wheel of Fortune's on. It's like, okay, y'all are having a fun night without the kids, huh? So <laughs> Betty opens her closet and, and sees like the shoebox shaking. And she's like, Ralph, we've got rats. And he's like, no, we paid the exterminator. And I'm like, how disgusting are you people that this is just like normal life? I'm disgusted. I If I found a rat in my house, that is cause for alarm. Okay. She starts flipping through, not flipping. She's like perusing her clothes and she moves up one of her dresses and just reveals Beverly Standing there, smiling menacingly, with Rosemary's pair of sewing scissors in her hand. Betty screams. Beverly immediately just stabs Betty in the gut with the scissors. Then the, like, mouse rat that was in the shoebox just gets out and, like, chews on Betty's ankles. Like, there's a little tiny bit of blood, just a couple scratches, and then Betty hits the ground dead. And I'm like... You got stabbed once in the gut, and then you were, like, bit by a mouse, and now you're dead. Okay. We cut back to Scotty, and we see Misty, Chip, and Eugene, like, breaking into Scotty's house. And when they do that, the police are like, back up, back up, the mom's gotta be here. Then they break (laughs) Scotty's door down, (laughs) and they walk in. With him just going at it. And he's like, ugh! He, like, freaks out. And Chip just goes, Scotty, man. <laughs> like, what are you doing? And then the detective Pike and Gracie just slam through the door. And Scotty's so embarrassed. He's like, oh my god. Like, at that moment, he probably wanted to die. So then we, we switch back to Beverly, who <laughs> is a bad bitch in this moment. Because... Ralph comes running up the stairs and he sees Betty dead and stabbed and he sees Beverly and she's like, she just, she takes the scissors out of Betty and then just like yeets the scissors at Ralph. And like, she would have hit him dead in the head if he hadn't run. But it like, she's so accurate and she throws them so hard they stick in the wall. And I'm like, you must have practice. Like, do you throw hatchets for fun? For fun? I know that's a thing nowadays, but was it a thing in the nineties? Like, how do you have such precision? So she runs after Ralph. She grabs the scissors. She yeets, yeets them down the stairs at him. Uh, nails a picture of him in the head, and he runs out the door, like screaming for help from the neighbors, which. I guess no one hears because, like, no one comes out to check on him. And she just, uh, just pushes their window AC unit out the window. It nails Ralph in the head and he's dead immediately. Just gone. (laughs) Okay. Again, like, somehow none of the neighbors heard this because no one shows up to, like, investigate the screams or anything so we see we see chip misty and eugene come home and misty's like i can't believe i thought mom could be a killer like they're thinking because scotty's still alive that magically means that 
anything else she did do just didn't happen. And Beverly's like holding a basket of strawberries. She's like, strawberries, anyone? And you're like, okay. And then just cuts to the next day. So it's Sunday and, you know, good old white suburban folk, they gotta be Christians, right? So there, it's time for church. The family walks out of the house to find like 20 police cars just lined up down the street waiting for them to come out. Because they'll be damned if they let Beverly escape again. The Detective Pike and Detective Gracie want to get, like, arrest her now. But the police chief comes back and is like, we don't, we're waiting for fingerprint results. And, like, we're not going to get her until we can prove that it's absolutely her and blah, blah, blah. They just, all, all 20 police cars just, like, file in a line, follow them to the church. While they're in the car heading to the church... The news comes on and mentions the Sterners. And Eugene immediately is like, no, Bev, why? And then she just very smugly goes, oh, such a shame. They should have brushed their teeth. And everyone else in the car gasped because, like, she's like, it's their fault for getting murdered. They should have brushed their fucking teeth. It's like, okay, Bev. Your, your morals are definitely just, like, shifting all over the place. The newscast names Bev as the prime subject, to which she just laughs, because how ridiculous. Misty laments that she'll never get a boyfriend. Like, doesn't care as much that her mom's a serial killer, and instead is like, I'll never get a boyfriend. And Eugene <laughs> goes, I've read all about this. Is this menopause? It's like, yeah. Menopause turned me into a psycho killer. You caught me. Oh, God. It's so ridiculous. And then Chip <laughs> Chip asks Mom if she really is a serial killer. And she goes, well, Chip, the only cereal I know anything about is Rice Krispies. She's, she's bonkers. She is on another level. <laughs> Bruh. So they arrive at church. The entire town is there whispering about Beverly and being like, how dare she show her face in the house of God? Except for Gus and Sloppy, the, the garbage men, who are still like 100% A-okay with Bev. They like smile. And she's like, hi, Gus and Sloppy. And they're like, hey, Bev. Like, they're totally fine with her. And um, we see that like Birdie's family isn't letting Birdie go say hi to her boyfriend. It's like, you gotta stay away from those people. And Scotty's family is like, I can't believe they're here. And Scotty's in... Scotty is so annoying. He's in fucking camo pants and then, like, a suit top. And I'm like, bro, could you at least have worn, like, khakis or something? You're ridiculous. He's, like, glaring at them because he's still embarrassed and upset about being caught jerking it to Chesty Morgan. And then we start witnessing the sermon, which is, the priest is like, a good time for Jesus to have spoken out about capital punishment is when he was hanging on the cross. There wouldn't have been a better time than that, and he didn't, so obviously capital punishment is fine. And he's like, he's like, encouraging the citizens to like, take it into their own hands. I'm like, what are you doing? Like, are you trying to incite a mob? Are you, like, A-OK-ing lynching? Like, I'm... What the fuck? This is not your place. The whole fucking time this is happening, Misty is flirting with this 
blonde fucking reporter who's taking pictures of her across the church. It, it's so, I'm so done with Misty at this point. I'm like, go away. Just go away. The detectives are outside the church and they get the call that the fingerprints are a match and they can, quote unquote, bust the bitch. So let's get it. They squeeze in. They're like filling up the pews and trying and like getting close to her. And then they're, are they like singing a heim? No, I think they're like praying. And at the end of the prayer, <laughs> Beverly sneezes in a lukey. <laughs> shoots out of her mouth and lands on a baby's face. And the mom just starts screaming. So it's literally like, achoo! Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then she's just screaming and chaos ensues. She starts screaming. Everyone panics. It's it's like a herd of cattle. Like, they're just fucking losing it. Beverly is laughing. She's having the time of her life. She thinks it's so fucking funny. And then uh, Chip and Bertie, you know, help her escape the church. They steal Scotty's car and they just leave. Just, they're really shitty friends if you think about it. But I mean, fuck Scotty, right? So who cares? Immediately, Bertie is so psyched that... Bev is a real killer. She's like, you're going to be so famous, just like Jason and Freddy, except you're real. And I'm like, girl, like, okay, I know you're horror obsessed, but this is real life. She really killed a bunch of people. Like, I don't know if you should be celebrating this. And Chip goes, she needs an agent. (laughs) Like, we're going to make big out of this. And I'm like, Bro, your mom murdered a bunch of people and your immediate thought is like, we can make a TV show of this. I guarantee it. I'm like, come on, dude. During this man, <laughs> during this man, Gus and Sloppy take the opportunity to just fucking deck Detective Pike, knock his ass out in the church. <laughs> and then just like, they're super giddy and they high five. <laughs> like, okay, let's live your best lives. Eugene and Misty run to the family car, because uh, Eugene's like, oh my god, we go find your mom. And the reporter guy just follows them, and then he's like, hey, my name is, I don't even know, I didn't write his name down, I don't fucking care about him, he's annoying. But he's like, and I work for blah blah blah, and he just starts taking a bunch of pictures of her, and she's all like, model picturing, like, voguing, and she's like, I'm Misty, and, like, nice to meet you. And then Eugene's like, get in the fucking car, Misty. Like, we can't go find your mom. And she she does the just, like, she's not, she's in college. So she's, like, not supposed to be a teenager anymore, but she does the teenager thing where she just rolls her eyes. She's like, and then she, like, pouts and gets in the car. And I'm like, we have so many more pressing matters than your love life, Misty. Get your shit together. So Chip and Birdie head to their video store and hide Beverly in, like, a back room of the video store. They pass by a cutout of Death Becomes Her, which is a fantastic movie. It is so good. As another star-studded cast, weird-ass storyline. I love it so much. I will be covering it in the future. It is so good. And then they put on the original Chainsaw Massacre, which is also just, like, top-tier, S-tier God, like, 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 you just hit your serial killer mom. You're opening the video store for customers with your mom hiding in the back. They're like, what am I going to do? I'm going to watch the original Chainsaw Massacre. 
So then this woman comes in. Her name is Miss Jensen. She's a rude-ass bitch. And she returns a movie and she's like, I just love Bill Cosby pictures. It's like, woof that aged poorly. And then we learn that she, like, doesn't rewind her VHS tapes, which is just annoying. Like, the Be Kind Rewind movement had been out for decades at that point. Like, why is she being... She's just like, I just don't want to. (laughs) You're just a bitch. So she gets charged an extra dollar for not rewinding. And um, when that happens, she gets so mad. She's like, no wonder you're the son of a psycho to Chip. And I'm like, oh. Girl. Of course, Beverly is watching this whole thing. Now she's pissed. So she like follows Miss Jensen to her home. Miss Jensen is another disgusting ass bitch. She puts Annie in the the player, like sits down, and then forces her dog to lick her toes. And she's literally like, get them all wet. And I'm like, Ugh, you're so disgusting. Like, dogs go after toes naturally, okay? But like requesting them and then giggling and being like get them wet like i'm horrified i'm gonna take your dog away like i need to call like the aspc spca i don't know like someone needs to come get this dog because that's fucked up um also she's like belting the first song from annie which is like the sign will come out tomorrow okay great but like she's listening it to it so loud that when Chip and Birdie show up, they're, like, on the street, like, in front of her house, and they can hear it playing. Like, that is so loud and inconsiderate. I Okay, like, <laughs> okay, ma'am, I don't think you need to be listening to Annie that loudly, let's be honest here. So, also, Beverly can't be that bad, because the dog, like, loves her. <laughs> it's like he's on his back, like, getting his stomach rubbed by Beverly. <laughs> like, see... Beverly's not that bad. Dogs love her. She can't be that bad. Oh, yeah. Miss Jensen made herself, like, a lamb sandwich. She has this giant hunk of lamb on the table. She uses she uses the biggest fucking carving knife she could have found. Like, it's, it's like, Halloween-level big. <laughs> like, why are you using that? Um. So, Beverly takes that knife, and she, like, goes to stab Miss Jensen. And then, for some reason, just, like, changes her mind turns around grabs the giant hunk of lamb and then just clubs the shit out of miss jensen with it and we see like blood like spatter across the tv that's playing annie and whatever she hits a beverly hits rewind on the tape and just screams rewind (laughs) because morals (laughs) The whole time this is happening, Chip and Birdie have been, like, trying to look in this, like, second story window to, um, see, make, like, make sure Beverly's not murdering her. And every time they jump up there, Beverly manages to be just out of sight. And then every time they jump down, Beverly's doing something crazy. Well, Scotty followed all of them and, like, climbs onto the roof of the shed next door and is just watching Beverly murder this woman. He's so horrified. I'm like, what did you expect? Well, of course, because he's being a nosy, no, just a nosy asshole. She sees him and he's like, oh, fuck. And just starts booking it. And so Beverly grabs the giant carving knife and just starts full ass 
chasing Scotty down the street. Like, he is sprinting, and she is sprinting full force. The carving knife in her hand, she should have accidentally stabbed herself. Like, she's running so hard after him. No one notices. No one cares. Neighbors, no one cares. It's fine. Um, Somehow, Chip and Birdie miss her just sprinting out the back door. They pop up. Uh, Birdie sees deadass Miss Jensen. She's like, oh, no. And then she, like, freaks out. She's like, blood is brown, not red. It's not red like the movies. It's real. It's real. Real life killing is scary. And I'm like, good on you for finally figuring that out. Chip consoles her, but, like, don't fucking console her. Like, she's a dumbass if she really thought everything was like the movies. So, whatever. Oh, yeah. Also, Beverly, like, feeds the dog, like, a piece of, like, vegetable that's on the serving platter with the leg of lamb. And then she just kisses him on the snoot. And I'm like, look, she's not that bad, okay? The dog likes her. It's fine. She murdered some people. So what? The dog likes her. It's fine. So her and Scotty are booking it down the road. Scotty jumps into his, like, convertible Mustang, whatever. The convertible top is up. And she starts stabbing the convertible top with the knife. And it's just screaming with each stab. You need to wear a seatbelt. <laughs> like she's so focused and mad on it. He takes off. So she hijacks a van from this dude. And she just shows him the knife and goes, get out, please. <laughs> like so polite. He's like, Oh, okay, I'm so sorry. <laughs> Just gets up. She starts high-speed pursuing Scotty at this point. A, a beautiful. It's fucking beautiful. Scotty is in the car praying to God, I'll never watch another sex film again. Just, like, let me live. Which, okay, sure. Misty and Eugene come across Chip and Birdie. And they're all um, at this, like, at a stop sign. And they're like, have you seen Mom? Like, no. And then they see Scotty just yeet past them and they're like that was scotty and then they see beverly in the van (laughs) passing by and she notices her family and like nothing is happening she just cheerfully smiles and waves at them like oh hey guys hey family love you all (laughs) like beverly (laughs) you're, you're trying to murder this dude Save it for later, okay? So the chase with Scotty ends up at this club called Hammerjacks because there's, like, all this traffic and whatever. Scotty gets inside, and he's trying to run away from Bev in the crowd. Bev gets out and is still just plainly holding this giant fucking carving butcher knife, okay? And, like, again, no one in this line of people trying to get into Hammerjacks notices or cares. So she just slips it into her purse. Okay, sure. We go inside, we witness that there's this all-girl band named Camel Lips, and they're all wearing beige leggings sewn in camel toe. It's so gross. <laughs> I understand wanting to be edgy and stuff, but like, that's not the way to go. They're singing this song called ja- Gas Chamber, which was written by, the, by John Waters, who wrote the movie, and it's so fucked up. Like, she's literally like, the only way you're going to shut me up is by killing me in a gas chamber. Like, that's so messed up. So, Bev is, like, cutting through line. And she's so polite. She's like, excuse me. I'm wanted by the police. Like, I got to get through. Thank you. <laughs> like, 
Okay. The bouncer sees her and is like, Oh, holy shit, you're cereal mom. You you gotta come in free of charge. She just lets her in. And then we have the most fucked up murder of the whole movie. I'm not even joking. It is so gnarly and like more people than just Beverly should have been arrested for this murder. Okay. Scotty runs on stage trying to escape Beverly. The guitarist just fucking like hits him in the gut with like her guitar. Bev then like takes the knife and cuts a cord and drops stage lights on him. And then she picks up a lighter and hairspray and just sets him on fire. And as he's burning, he screams like, I'm so sorry. I'll wear my seatbelt. Don't do this, Mrs. Sutfin. And I'm like, oh my God. Like, yeah, Scotty was annoying and I hated him, but he did not deserve a death like this. And the whole crowd is going wild because they think it's like, part of the show and instead of freaking out and like being like call for help or anything the singer sees his dead body on fire and spits like vodka onto him so it lights up even further like it's so fucked up she should be labeled as an accessory to a murder like she just helped burn the body it's oh accelerating the death like it's so terrible like come on it's so nasty. Just, ugh. The cops show up and arrest Beverly. As she's being carted out, the entire crowd and the band just is chanting, Serial mom, serial mom, as she's carted away. She's super famous now. Whatever. Cue. Five months later, her trial begins. Truthfully, this is the best fucking part of this movie. It's my absolute favorite. It's terrible. She pulls a Ted Bundy and wins. And it's so delusional and chaotic. And she just, she's so masterful about it. Like, like Beverly is so fucked up the whole movie. But I'm rooting for her. I love her. And seeing her court scene, she is just the smoothest criminal. And it's so good. And I'm like, you know what? <laughs> you deserve <laughs> your win. The family walks up to the courthouse. Birdie is throwing up a peace sign and, and passing out, like, flyers that are like, no more violence, because she's hella traumatized. Chip is in a fucking beret and sunglasses. <laughs> He's just a snobby little fuck. And Eugene is wearing a button that's, like, no gas chamber. <laughs> like, it says gas chamber, and then it has, like, the red line through it, which is... A real turn of events considering he wanted the hillside strangler to be executed. Just saying. Okay. And also, they are a stand-up family for standing behind Bev this whole time. Like, they don't falter. They're like, we're going to get her help. We're going to be here for her. And I'm like, stand-up family. Because I would have left her ass a long time ago. I would have been like, this is too much for me and, and gone I, I, out. Irritating reporter dude. And I guess Misty or like an an item now he keeps taking close-up pictures of her as they're walking to the courtroom she's all like like flirty and um, they're so annoyed i'm so annoyed by them <laughs> like fuck off there are bigger things going on here so court starts beverly walks in and immediately is like hello jury people my name's beverly something i love your jacket <laughs> the judge is like shut the fuck up like you can't talk to the jury 
Like, immediately she was in contempt of law, but okay. Also, she was transported on a prison bus. Like, we see that. So why the fuck is she wearing, like, pearls and a navy dress? Like, shouldn't she be in, like, a prison jumpsuit since she wasn't bailed out? Like, it, no, it's wrong. It's wrong, but whatever. While the prosecutor is giving his opening statement about, like, her taking six innocent lives and stuff, she starts counting on her fingers to see if his victim math is correct. And her attorney is like, stop that. And then Chip just says out loud, well, they kind of deserved it. <laughs> it's like, what is wrong with these people? Like, come on. Really, um, <laughs> also just starts fucking around with this random jury dude because she keeps miming that he has like a burger, booger hanging from his nose when he clearly doesn't. And <laughs> it's just so chaotic. Like, why is she doing that? Her defense attorney starts his opening statement. And <laughs> so he's. I think he's building up to be like, we don't know anybody, you know, like we never, we don't know Beverly and like some people just snap and that kind of thing until she, (laughs) she gets his attention and shows him that she's written on this piece of paper that juror number eight, who's played by Patricia Hearst, by the way, Patty Hearst, gorgeous, is wearing white shoes after Labor Day, which is not okay in that moment. He knows. He fucked up. He just looks at her and immediately goes, Beverly is not guilty by insanity. Because <laughs> only only some insane woman would be like pointing out that this woman's wearing white shoes after Labor Day. Immediately, Beverly is like, no. She asks the judge to get rid of her attorney and that she would defend herself. She throws out some prior cases where that was acceptable the judge like fucking allows it for some reason (laughs) okay um and then she pleads not guilty and there's like the most fake gasp of horror ever it's like (gasps) it's so much so now we go through the whole fucking trial and it i swear to god every witness just gets crazier and crazier it's so much so first we have Dottie. You know, the prosecutor has her point out Beverly is the one who's been harassing her with the obscene phone calls and letters and stuff like that. Then Beverly goes to cross-examine and she just rips Dottie into <laughs> She cons Dottie into admitting that she, like, lied about drinking <laughs> and that, like, pisses Dottie off. And <laughs> then she, Beth, like... She mouths, fuck you. <laughs> and Dottie just loses her shit. And she's like, fuck you. <laughs> and the judge is like, you have to stop. Or like, you're going to be, I'm going to have to charge you with contempt of court. And so then <laughs> Beverly just goes, are you insane? <laughs> Dottie goes off. <laughs> she's screaming so many insanity obscenities she gets carried away in contempt of court i'm gonna insert a clip because everything she says is just so much mrs hinkle are you insane no i'm not you motherfucker you lousy pig fucker you bitch you ugly whore she gets hauled away (laughs) beverly winks at her husband who's just like what the 
fuck is going on? And we cut to the next day. We see Misty and blonde reporter dude are, are selling Serial Mom merchandise and even, like, a fucking book that I guess he wrote about her. Like, okay. The fucking Chip has become full-blown agent. He's, like, on the phone talking about, like, I don't give a shit what this person got. We're flying first class. We're not flying at all. And this dude comes up and goes, like, your mom killed my brother. And he just sucker punches Chip. Who immediately goes, it's cool, it's cool, alright? Sorry that he's dead, but, like, have you signed off on his story yet? Because we're making a TV series and Suzanne Summers is interested in playing Beverly and the brother's like, really? I wonder if Carl can be played by Jason Priestley. And then it just goes back to court. <laughs> so chaotic, like, what? <laughs> okay, we're back in court. We have the second testimony. It's the girl that was high as a kite who was who witnessed Mr. Stubbins' murder. She is so stoned <laughs> on the stand. She is cackling away. The prosecutor is describing this gruesome murder, and she's just like, it's just blue, man. The car, not the driver. Just blue. <laughs> Beverly gets sympathetic eyes from juror number eight, Patty Hurst, who is on her shit list once again because Beverly immediately notices she's wearing another pair of white shoes. Not the same pair of white shoes. A different pair of white shoes. A whole ass different pair. Who even has white shoes? Let alone multiple pairs of white shoes. They get so dirty, so nasty, so quickly. I don't want to take care of them. Fuck white shoes. I'm a goth person. Black all the way, okay? Cut back to... <laughs> we cut back to Misty and the reporter you know, selling the merchandise outside of the court. And this woman goes, can you sign my book to a future serial mom? Like, arrest this woman immediately. She is planning murder. Another woman goes, yeah, I have a few people I want to kill myself. Like, girls, please. <laughs> You're in front of a court just being like, yeah, I have people I want to kill. This is literally just as bad as the movie Chicago when, like, they're selling off Roxy's memorabilia and there's, like, sailors getting tattoos of her name and shit and people are just, like, super obsessed with her and the commercial is, like, everyone wants to be that little jazz killer. And I'm like, stop. Stop. Murder is not okay. Stop. People in this town are really obsessed with murder. Third testimony goes to Detective Gracie who's testifying about finding those, like, serial killer books in her recycling, to which she pulls in Uno reverse card. <laughs> pulls out a dirty magazine called Chicks with Dicks that Gus and Sloppy got from his trash. And she's like, you can't judge people by their reading material. And he gets hella pissed. He's like, I'm a married man and you deserve the gas chamber. And then he gets carried off. <laughs> like, okay. Fourth testimony is Rosemary Ackerman, to which Beverly pulls an even bigger Uno reverse card and just, like, starts being like, Rosemary did all of this. Rosemary committed all these murders. It was her magazine. It was her fire poker. It was her scissors. You know, Carl had just bought that Fabergé egg that she really wanted, so she just had to kill him for it. Like, bruh. <laughs> like, obviously, they're like, they, like, don't accept that Rosemary is the one who committed the murders, but it, like, 
really re- labels her as an unreliable witness, and then <laughs> because <laughs> because it's just so important. <laughs> Beverly goes, "Do you recycle?" <laughs> And Rosemary has to admit that she doesn't because I don't have any room in my kitchen. And the whole courtroom is like, <gasps> like whispering about it. Like, why? <laughs> why is social status dependent upon your recycling ability? It makes no fucking sense. We put Detective Pike on the stand. He's confirming witnessing Scotty's death inside of Hammerjacks when... All of a sudden, Suzanne Summers saunters in to sit on Beverly's side of court. And again, the whole courtroom is just whispers. And then the <laughs> Detective Pike and the judge are just smitten as kittens. Literally won't take their eyes off of her. Just in the detective's like, that really is Suzanne Summers. And then like waves to her. And the prosecutor's trying to get the judge to admit a picture into evidence. He's like, yeah, yeah, sure. He just looks at Suzanne Summers and goes, I love you in Three's Company. <laughs> so the prosecutor's like, no further questions. Like, he just gives up. He's like, okay, never mind. Now we bring out Marvin Pickles, which is the bathroom pervert, the guy who's at the glory hole who's like, eat me. Okay, this is the last horribly just gross scene. It's so nasty. I hate it so much. So Beverly realizes pretty quickly that Marvin Pickles is just the nasty pervert man. So she's like, I know what to do. She fucking leans down in her chair, opens her knees, and just like opens and closes them. Just like enamoring Marvin with peaks of her, I'm assuming, underwear. Unless she was going commando, but we don't get to see that. He gets so flustered and horny that he just starts perjuring himself on the stand, claiming that he's never met Beverly Sutton, that he's only saying what the prosecutor asked him to say. And the whole time he's like sweaty and like groaning and just clearly staring at her as she just rapidly continues to open her legs, which the judge should have seen that and should have said something, but maybe he's still too fucking enamored by Suzanne Summers. I don't fucking know. It's nasty. The prosecutor is like, you know, like, perjuring's a crime. He's like, yep, I don't care. <laughs> I got to see underwear, I guess. I don't, it's, <sighs> whatever. So, <laughs> once again, the prosecutor just gives up defeat. So, he rests. Beverly goes, the prosecution has proven nothing. The defense also rests. And the whole courtroom bursts into applause. Suzanne Summers starts doing some fucking interviews um, about Beverly being 100% innocent and is, like, quoting Beverly's closing argument, which hasn't even happened yet. So they keep, like, jumping from, like, the closing arguments to Suzanne Summers doing her interview. The fucking prosecutor goes, Henrietta Lee Lucas, Joan Wayne Gacy. (laughs) Like... Like, calling her the female version of Henry Lee Lucas and John Wayne Gacy. And I think that's hilarious because she murdered six people. And, like, John Wayne Gacy killed, like, 39 young boys. And Henry Lee Lucas, he, like, confessed to hundreds of murders. Like, okay, you're you're stretching it just a little bit. All right, back the fuck up, okay? 
And also, like, they killed their people in way more horrific ways than she did. Honestly, most of the people who died by her hand shouldn't have died. <laughs> like, there was not enough damage, but okay. We see Misty and the blonde reporter just disgustingly just sucking face in the background of Bev's closing statement. Like, make sure you hear that, like, it's so fucking nasty. Like, why do they keep doing this? The dad is like, fucking stop. <laughs> like, you're nasty. Bev's closing statement is like, I'm just as normal as any of you, and I'm innocent, and I'm just a housewife. Like, like the police are trying to frame me, and like, okay, yeah, sure, whatever. It doesn't make any sense, but okay. After two days of deliberation, the jury finds her innocent. Hooray, the whole courtroom bursts into applause, and Eugene looks at Misty and Chip and is like, what do we do now? Because they never thought that she would get away with it. Like, they know she murdered. And the, the kids are both, like, just like, I don't know, bring her home, I guess. <laughs> that blonde reporter asks Misty, he's like, what, what if she doesn't like me? And Misty's like, yeah, just be nice and don't get on her bad side. Don't get on her nerves, because then I guess she'll, I don't know, murder you. <laughs> Immediately after court, they're once again interviewing um, Suzanne Summers and Beverly joins in until she sees Patty Hearst, who was once again wearing another pair of white shoes. <laughs> Why does she have so many white shoes? Immediately, Beverly is like, oh, this bitch. <laughs> so she follows her into the bathroom where Patty Hearst is on a payphone talking to someone and she's like, we set her free. I knew from the beginning that she was innocent and Bev just disconnects her phone call. She grabs the receiver and is immediately reprimanding her, like, didn't your mother ever tell you not to wear white shoes after Labor Day? Blah, blah, blah. Patty disagrees. She's like, it's not a rule anymore. And Beverly goes, yes, it is. And then just starts beating her with the telephone receiver. <laughs> the, last thing, <laughs> the last thing Patty says before she dies is, no, please, fashion has changed. <laughs> she says it so desperately. And Beverly just goes, no, it hasn't, and kills her. <laughs> like, <laughs> imagine those being your final words to a killer. You're like, no, please don't kill me. Fashion has changed. <laughs> I, I'm going to put that clip in as well, because that's just the, the desperation in her voice is, is necessary. <laughs> no, please. Fashion has changed. So Beverly walks out and finds Suzanne Summers again. And Suzanne Summers is like, we're going to take a picture. And she keeps, she's pissing Bev off because she keeps moving Beverly to the left side of her. And Beverly wants to be on the right side. And Beverly yells, Suzanne Summers, this is my bad side. Immediately afterward, there's a horrified scream as one of the other jurors finds Patty Hearst's dead body. Like, super campy music starts playing. The crowd gasps, and Suzanne Summers just slowly stares at Bev, horrified. And Beverly just smiles back at her with her eyebrow arched. A title card pops up saying, Beverly Sutphin refused to cooperate with the making of this film. Daybreak begins, and the credits roll. The end. <laughs> I fucking love this movie. It's it ends on this bonker, amazing trial. It ends with her committing another murder immediately after being proclaimed innocent in the courtroom. 
She's still in the courthouse. Oh, it's so beautiful. It's it's majestic as hell. All in all, Serial Mom had seven kills. Very little blood and gore, honestly. And yet, still, some of those kills were just gnarly as fuck. Oh, man. I would give this movie a four out of five. I would give it a five out of five for, like, enjoyment. But there are a few things story-wise that I feel like just don't make sense and are beyond reasonable. Some of the stuff that happens in this movie is just like, no. That's <laughs> so fiction. It, you can't. So, five for enjoyment, but four overall for the movie. It is literally one of my favorite movies. I love it so much. Like, I really hope you guys enjoyed the movie and my review of it. Um, remember to check the episode description for my socials and email. And like I said, reach out to me if you have movie suggestions or advice on how to be better. Because, you know, it's my first podcast. I'm doing my best. For the next movie, I think I really want to do Drop Dead Gorgeous. Because I it's another cult classic. I fucking love that movie. I watch it all the time. <laughs> I quote it to my mom. <laughs> like, it's great. It's another just bonkers murder movie. <laughs> so I think that's going to be a great one. I think we should do that next. So until then, farewell, ghost gang.